Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning was almost like a gardening lesson, wasn't it? Just all these pictures, all these pieces throughout scripture of the way that God uses this imagery of growth and gardens and vines and growing in him. And it's hard for me to think about gardens without thinking about my grandfather. He was a gardener. Uh, When I picture him, it is always out in his backyard, uh, the backyard of my grandparents' home in suburban Houston with a watering hose in one hand and a scotch on the rocks in the other. This is just, this is who he was right here. He, He spent hours, hours every day watering that lush landscape of their backyard by hand. Uh, My grandfather thought that people who got sprinkler systems installed were quitters. Um, He barely even used an automatic sprinkler at all. I mean, he knew how much water each of those plants needed. And so he was going to give them each a drink, he said, exactly how much they needed. No more, no less. He was a do-it-yourself kind of guy. No landscape company had designed the layers and layers of tropical plants in their backyard, although it, it was equal to any display at a botanical garden. He had cultivated those plants by hand. He, he had planted them by seed and watched them grow. He had a greenhouse in the backyard where he nurtured the seedlings and repotted plants and I was never really sure why we needed a greenhouse because this was um, coastal Texas and the humidity that pressed down on us. It was like living in a greenhouse all the time. But evidently a greenhouse made that easier. And my grandparents also owned some land outside the city uh, where we would go on weekends. And there, there was a huge garden bigger than an acre there with a 20-foot fence to keep the deer out. We'd go there on weekends, and that's where I learned to pull potatoes from the dirt. That's where I learned to chase the rabbits out. That's where I learned to shuck corn and the cucumbers. Oh, if you've ever planted cucumbers, you know they just keep growing. They grow and grow until you wish you had never planted them at all. My grandmother pickled so many cucumbers that uh, the jars would, like, line the walls in towers And still, we would be out pulling up more cucumbers from those prickly rows faster than she could can them. To this day, I hate cucumbers. (laughs) And I can tell you that my my grandfather had a a green thumb, and I, I would be telling the truth. He could nurture and grow things like you wouldn't believe. But I could also tell you that that green thumb, that gift of nurture, did not translate to his relationships with people. His patience for watering a yard by hand did not translate to patience with people. He famously watched TV like it was a contact sport. Uh, He would yell at the people on the TV as if they could hear him. Usually watching the news, something about the crooked politicians, he would say, calling them out as if he expected them to receive his input through the TV. Crooked is probably the only word he used that I could use from this pulpit today. His cultivation of of little seedlings uh, growing into young plants did not extend to his cultivation of his children and his family. His bounty of harvest in that garden, his ability to produce more than our family could consume, did not translate to overflowing and unconditional love when it came to people. And inside that household, love felt a lot more like a scarce resource than an overflowing one, something that was in short supply. 
it, it just seemed like there wasn't enough to go around. So if one family member was receiving love or affirmation, it resulted in jealousy from others, feeling less than because they weren't the one in the spotlight. In that household, your love, your, your behavior could earn you love and affirmation, but it could also earn you anger, harsh words, abusive words, worse than the one shouted at the TV. It could earn you the feeling that you just didn't measure up. Try again next time. Try harder. My grandfather died when I was still a child, but to this day, the smell of scotch can transport me back into his presence. Alcohol flavored all experiences in my grandfather's house. One with the immaculately kept yard outside for all the world to see. But inside, the family wilting on the vine. In the Gospel of John, Jesus wants his followers to understand who he is. So he, he gives them a syllabus. You got any of those? A curriculum to understand who Jesus is. And, and the whole syllabus begins with the words, I am. He lists them out for us in seven statements. You're, you're familiar with many of them. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he gets to the very last one, he ends his time with his disciples in, in what's called the farewell discourse in John. This is, this is this intimate conversation just before he goes to the cross. And that's appropriate for us to consider in these waning days of Lent as we journey to the cross with them. In that farewell, he, he gives one last statement for them. He says, I am the true vine. Here's how Jesus puts it in John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, oh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. On, on the syllabus of discipleship, uh, Jesus finally gets to the last picture in these I am lessons, and for this last one, he goes organic. This is nothing new, of course, uh, Jesus has been specializing in agrarian metaphors throughout his ministry. Seeds fall to the earth and die and are born again. Weeds are maliciously planted in among the wheat. A tiny mustard seed grows up into a huge plant. 
Seeds are scattered on all kinds of soil. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, not many of those. It's almost like Jesus wanted us to hear something about discipleship by using all of these plants. Maybe he wanted us to know that discipleship is not just a one-and-done event. Not just some event in our lives where we're converted from one thing to the next, and then we just hang out on earth waiting to die so we can enjoy heaven one day. Instead, maybe he wants us to hear that life in Christ is a dynamic reality, not a static one. A little less like a machine, a little more like a growing garden a growing and developing way of life, one that changes and grows, the way that living things change and grow. Are you expecting that from your life in Christ? We're not used to these agrarian metaphors. This isn't the world we live in every day. Uh, We're a little more used to an industrialized society. And so instead of that, in in Jesus' language, we need to pick up the clues that he's laying down for us here. In in Jesus' language, we get this, the vine the gardener, the branches, the fruit. It's a very intentional order that he lays those out in. The the passage spells it out one by one. First the vine, then the gardener, then the branches, and finally it speaks of fruit. Let's take our order from Jesus this morning and move through those four together. Vine, gardener, branches, fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He is letting us know he is the source He's the place that we should go for all life, everything we need. In the plant kingdom, the vine or the trunk is not only the source of water and nutrients, it's the supplier. The vine, the trunk, is responsible for feeding those branches. The trunk of a large tree doing the work of transpiration, there's your biology lesson for the day, moving that water through the plant. The trunk of a large tree can move a hundred gallons of water a day or more. Can you move a hundred gallons of water a day? Can you imagine physically getting up every morning and transporting a hundred gallons of water from one place to the next? You wouldn't need to go to the gym after that. But in the tree, it's the trunk's business to move the water. The leaves are not sap suckers. They do not pull or draw the water from the trunk. They simply exist. They receive. And the movement of that water pushes in and through them, through the trunk, or in this case, the vine. The the great Christian writer Andrew Murray has a little book about this passage that I would highly recommend to you. It's called The True Vine, Meditations for a Month on John 15. And I checked. It's on the Kindle um, app for 99 cents, worth way more than that. Here's why Andrew Murray says the vine is the first piece mentioned in this passage. He says, At the very root of all Christian life lies the thought that God is to do all, that our work is to give and leave ourselves in his hands in the confession of utter helplessness and dependence, in the assured confidence that he gives us all we need. We can count on God to give us all we need. We don't have to pull from him to earn or deserve. We don't have to second guess whether God will be there, whether he will supply all our needs. He's promised that to us. The branches are helpless and dependent 
It's the push of the trunk to the tips of the tree. That's the movement from the vine to the extremities that moves all of life. And when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it it, it implies pretty directly that there are other vines out there that are not true. I thought about explaining this to you this morning, but I don't think I have to. Do you know that there are other things you can plug into for the energy and nourishment of your life? And do you know where it ends up when you plug into them? Anybody ever plugged your cell phone in overnight only to wake up and discover that the plug wasn't in the wall on the other end? That's what the other vines are like. (laughs) Spending the effort connecting to something in life, expecting it to feed you, and then finding out it drained you. Instead, I'm the true vine, Jesus says. He knows there are options. He knows there are other places where we are likely to go on a regular basis. But he invites us to plug into him because he is the only true source of life. Everything else ends up with the battery low signal flashing. Every time. Jesus is helpfully reminding us, I know there are other things, and I know you head there sometimes. Come back. Plug into me. I am the true vine. The second piece Jesus talks about here, first the vine, then the gardener. And God is the vine grower. God is the gardener here. This is a a familiar role. Uh, God tends a garden in Eden. He cares for a vineyard that he plants in Isaiah chapter 5, one that gives him sour grapes in the end. Jesus is mistaken himself for a gardener, isn't he? After his resurrection. The fact that there even is a vine grower in this passage, the fact that there is a gardener looking in, checking in on the vine, isn't that good news? It reminds us that God is not someone who plants and leaves. He tends, he grows, he prunes. The good news is that God didn't just save you and then leave it to you to figure it out yourself. What a picture of a heavenly father, a gardener, watching over you, watering you when you're thirsty, shining on you when you need sunlight, pruning you because you need it. Pruning sounds like a painful process, but this passage says that the vine grower only prunes the branches that bear fruit. If you ever feel yourself being pruned, you know you're on the right track. God's taking care of you. He's weeding out the stuff that's going to get in the way of your fruitfulness. I would say that this past year has been a year of pruning for probably the entire world. We've had to live without many of the things that we tend to plug into from time to time. Places where we have gone looking for happiness. A, A lot of those were good things. Many of the false vines in my life, the idols in my life, have been blessings from God that I've just elevated above God when I wasn't paying attention. These are good things that sometimes become ultimate things. And when we plug into them, God, God comes out with the clippers. He knows. He knows that that will suck the life out of us, just like a vine grower knows that the non-producing branches have to go if he wants that life-giving force to flow all the way through to the tips and produce fruit. If we ever get to a time that we think, I can't live without this, I can't live without that, and that this or that is not God himself, it's time to reevaluate. But what an opportunity to rely on God himself. As we move into this new in-between season this year, 2021, where so many people are eager to get back to 
normal, whatever that was, I wonder if there's not time in between to thank God for the pruning and to ask him, what do you want me to learn from this year? What was I plugging into before 2020 that you want to come and correct? So after the vine, after the gardener, finally the branches, right? This is what we've been waiting for. Finally, the passage is about us. And Jesus helpfully says, you are the branches. He's explaining it very clearly. And we know the posture of the branches, right? We, we, expect, we expect that a branch holds this posture, right? The branch is plugged into the vine. And the branch holds a hand out in this direction, ready to produce fruit. Plugging inward to the vine, reaching outward to offer the fruit. This is what I expect a branch to look like. Two jobs, right? Abiding and producing. Only the thing in this passage is, Jesus doesn't command fruit. There is no pep talk in this passage that goes over here on the fruit side. Jesus doesn't say, more fruit, better fruit, please. I'll love you more if you just make fruit for me. What's the pep talk? Abide. Abide, abide. The the focus is entirely in this direction. Entirely. This is a receptive posture. Letting God flow through us to produce fruit that we're almost shocked is there because our attention has been so fully on the vine, on what God can flow through us, produce in us. Abide, abide, abide. What does it look like to abide? I would expect if we offered a class here that said how to abide, a lot of us would show up. I'd sign up for that because sometimes I just don't know how it works. How do I abide, Lord? What does that look like? Another translation is remain. What does it look like to remain? Could you give me more instructions, please? Andrew Murray, again, in his book, has some really helpful instructions. Here's what he says. If you would bear fruit, see that the inner life is perfectly right, that your relation to Christ Jesus is clear and close. Begin each day with him in the morning to know in truth that you are abiding in him and he in you. Christ tells us that nothing less will do. It is not your willing and running. It is not by your strength or might. I'm going to say that part again. It is not your willing or running. It is not by your might or strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Meet each new engagement. Undertake every new work with an ear and heart open to the master's voice. He that abideth beareth much fruit. See you to the abiding. He will see to the fruit, for he will give it to you and through you. If that's not worth the price of a 99-cent Kindle version, I don't know what is. See you to the abiding. He'll see to the fruit. What kind of fruit are we talking about here? What does Jesus want to produce in our lives? I love that produce and produce are spelled the same. We would love to jumpstart to this. I think it's why Jesus left it till last. We would want to sign up for a class on how to bear fruit. And Jesus offers instead a class on how to abide. But he gets to it, finally. He does get to talking about the fruit. What kind of fruit are we talking about here? The most important fruit that abiding produces is actually invisible to the world. First, the fruitful character of Christ in us. And then the fruitful ministry of Christ through us in that order. 
the fruitful character of Christ in us and the fruitful ministry of Christ through us. Here's where we find our connection to the fruit of the Spirit and our our life of discipleship that we're moving through this year, allowing Christ's character as we plug into the vine to literally flow in us. If we are plugged into Christ, then his character will be coming out our ears like fruit. In John 15, there's all this talk of love and joy. As the Father loved me, I love you. I have told you these things so that my joy will be in you. Your joy will be full. Do you hear the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of Jesus here? Think about the videos that we saw at the beginning of this service with Bethany and Ivan sharing where they are seeing the fruit of the Spirit around campus. Do you think the people that they were talking about woke up in the morning thinking to themselves, fruit, fruit, must produce fruit. Must let the campus know that I am loving. How can I show the campus that I am loving today? I don't think that's very accurate. I think people on whom we see fruit growing so bountifully are much more focused in abiding. I think when we recognize fruit in people, we are recognizing the abiding that they're doing in Christ, and the fruit flowed from that. Here's C.S. Lewis on where the fruit uh, comes from. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. That's not timely. I don't know what is. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. So where does that fruit come from? from the abiding. There, there are people out there who are such experts in wine. They're called master sommeliers. I am not one of them. There, there are people who taste wine, and they, they tell you all these like hints and textures and flavors in it. When I taste wine, I taste wine. That tastes like the other wine to me. Some of these master sommeliers are such experts, they can almost tell you where that grape was grown that produced the wine, what region, what village, almost what field that grape came from. They can point it out. And they'll tell you that this is not some secret power they have. What they're tasting is the dirt. A master sommelier can taste the dirt that the grape was grown in, and they can recognize the location it came from. Let me tell you this. When you see and experience the fruit of the Spirit in someone else, when it flows out to you through fruit, you're not tasting fruit. You're tasting where they've been planted. You're tasting their abiding. You are benefiting. Fruit is feeding you from their abiding. How beautiful when you abide in Christ that God is feeding others from the fruit that you produce. What kind of fruit do we bear? The fruitful character of Christ in us, the fruitful ministry of Christ through us. You came to seminary because you want to produce fruit. to to make disciples, to attempt something big, to have the fruitful ministry of Christ obvious in your life. You want to see more branches, don't you? Growing up all around you. Looking out in this room, I can tell you that God is already producing some amazing ministry fruit for the kingdom of God. But the Bible has a lot more to say about your character than it does your productivity. It says if you focus on the productivity, you just might lose the character. Listen to me. 
Don't be the person who carefully landscapes the outside of your ministry and ignores, ignores the people who can taste and see what you're producing on the inside. Don't water the outside by hand and let the inside go dry. Isn't this what Jesus lectured the Pharisees about? I mean, you're, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, but the inside's filthy. You're, you're whitewashed tombs shining on the outside and, and dead on the inside. Your doing has to flow from your being with God. This is the posture of the branch, isn't it? I mean, connect in. Let fruit flow through. But I'll tell you that here is the temptation of every ministry, every single day, is to focus on the fruit, to look at the fruit. The temptation is to look so hard that we compare it to the fruit on other branches. That we think, is my fruit measuring up? Is it enough? Is it worth all those dollars I spent in class? Is my fruit good enough for you, God? Do you love me now? That's the temptation. And when that temptation strikes, the temptation is this, to let go of the vine and spend all the energy on the fruit. What happens here? A branch without the vine is just a stick. Without me, you can do nothing. You felt it. You've been through seasons where things just dried up and you realized that you were all over here and not over here at all. Abide, abide, abide. That is the lesson in this passage. Learning to recognize the signs of letting go of the vine. Learning to plug in again. This is a rhythm in ministry going to happen for all of us. Taking time to get firmly plugged in and abide. If you can learn that here and take it into ministry with you, the fruit will take care of itself. Abide, abide, abide. The good news is that discipleship is a living thing. It goes through life cycles. Gardens go through seasons. You think that surprises the gardener? There are seasons of faith and life, and that's not a design flaw gardens are planted. They nurture uh, fruit and grow it. We harvest. We need pruning. We go through seasons where we lie fallow, and things seem dead, but then we grow again. Plug into Jesus while you're here. Learn to grasp so strongly that nothing in this world will make you let go. Recognize the false vines and let God unplug you from them. And then put your roots down so deep that when people taste your ministry, they taste Jesus. When people are in your presence, it goes all the way to the dirt. And they taste the Spirit's fruit flowing through you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you have made our faith a living thing. Thank you that even when it looks Even when it looks dormant, there's life on the inside of that vine. Lord, help us to plug our lives in so strongly that nothing in this world can shake us out of your vine. Help us to abide. God, we are so thirsty for your Holy Spirit, and we pray, God, that you would fill our lives this morning in a way that will significantly help us to abide in you, and then, Lord, make our lives to bloom again. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.